Welcome in again to the Who Day Den. I'm your host, Taylor, and we are previewing the Denver Broncos this week, and we will welcome our guest here in, in just a minute. But another week, another game that is uh, monumental in importance, and maybe for the first time this year, I don't know if I've done it earlier, but I, I have held off on deeming a game a must-win game, but I'm doing it this week. I believe this is a must-win game for the Bengals. Nine wins is the minimum you need to even be in the conversation for a playoff spot. Ten wins is probably more realistically what you need. With only four games remaining in the season, including Ravens, Chiefs, and at the Browns, there's not a lot of gimmies left. And I'm not saying Denver's a gimme by any means. However, there are probably least imposing opponent remaining, um, depending on on how you view the Ravens these days. The, the Broncos have the worst quarterback that we're going to face from here on out. The other quarterbacks being Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, and Baker Mayfield, who as much as I don't love Baker Mayfield, he's, he's better than Teddy Bridgewater, I think, in many ways, more talented. This is going to be a game that the Bengals have to go on the road, have to play a, a 405 kickoff, um, something a little different after three straight home games. Get back on the road, go into another time zone, and win a game that you are needing to win. And I was going to say supposed to win, but as of right now, the Bengals are underdogs. And an, a win this week is also important because of who the other guys in our division are going up against. So we have Cleveland playing a Saturday game at home against the Raiders. The Raiders are an up and down 500-ish team. We've seen them ourselves and, and beat them handedly, and they've had some good games, some bad games. But the interesting cons, uh, the interesting storyline there is the COVID stuff with Cleveland and how that's going to impact does Baker play? Do, does Jarvis Landry play? All of these offensive and defensive weapons that are potentially out, that could definitely have a uh, say in that game. The Raiders are going to give them a run for their money, most likely. Now, when we look at Pittsburgh, they're playing Tennessee. Tennessee is another one that started out hot, hasn't looked outstanding necessarily. But overall, Tennessee is still a good team. And yes, um, Pittsburgh will be at home. But Tennessee sitting at 9-4, and four, should give Pittsburgh a tough game. And then when we look at Baltimore, they play Green Bay, another home game for the Ravens. But the Packers, we know, one of the best teams in the NFL. So there is a very real chance that all three of our AFC North rivals lose games this week. And that is what it's going to take. And, and Lindsay mentioned it in last uh, episode. The best chance for the Bengals to make the playoffs right now is to win the AFC North, not the wild card. The wild card is jumbled. There's a lot that needs to go our way. Our best chance is to win our division. And picking up a game on everybody in our division is quite possible this week. And if not everybody, I find it hard to believe that Baltimore is going to beat Green Bay and Pittsburgh beats Tennessee and Cleveland decimated by COVID protocol is going to beat the Raiders. Like uh, probably at least two of those teams that are losing. So this is a prime opportunity for the Bengals that is why I'm ready to deem this a must-win game for the Cincinnati Bengals. And you'll hear a little bit later when I talk to Joe, I think this is a decent matchup for the Bengals. There's a lot on paper that works in our favor. Granted, that doesn't always mean a win, but some of the things we saw last week, we were worried about George Kittle, and he punished us. We were worried about uh, Nick Bosa, and that pass rush hurt us a little bit in getting to Joe Burrow more often than we would like. There were some things that we were concerned about. And we saw this play out. And as I was going through my weekly 
stat, whatever you want to call it. I just like looking up different stats for various things. Some of them are correlated. Some of them are not to success. One of them I put out was if the Bengals can stop beating themselves, they would legitimately be an elite team. And you can say that about lots of teams, right? Limit turnovers, you win games. I'm not even saying the Bengals have to never turn the ball over, um, but they have only had eight, uh, eight games this year where they had one or fewer turnovers. And they are seven and one in those eight games. An 875 winning percentage in games where they commit one or fewer turnovers. Like we are the ones that are killing ourselves. One of the top um, winning percentages in the NFL among teams that have uh, one or fewer turnovers. So we're winning those games. The other teams that are up there in winning percentage when they turn the ball over uh, one or fewer times. Cardinals, Patriots, Rams, Chiefs, Packers, Buccaneers. Literally... Uh, a viable list of potentially the six best teams in the NFL. And then the Bengals sitting at number seven with an 875 winning percentage in those games. We win the games when we don't shoot ourselves in the foot. Unfortunately, we have struggled in doing that, sitting at 0-5 in games where we turn it over two or more times. Another stat that is interesting to me that I was uh, looking over was Joe Mixon. And I've mentioned before many times the correlation does not equal causation when it comes to rushing attempts, because when you have a lead, you're going to run the ball more often. Uh, however, I think for the Bengals, it's more than just volume. It is efficiency and yards per carry is a stat that is um, kind of flawed, doesn't tell the whole story. There's a lot of things that go into yards per carry. It can be easily inflated by a long run that doesn't you know, really show the success of a an offensive uh, run unit. So take that for, for what it's worth, a grain of salt here, maybe. But in games where Joe Mixon has averaged four or more yards per carry, the Bengals are seven and one. When he averages less than four yards per carry, the Bengals are 0 and five. So it comes down to me to an efficiency thing even more than it does a um, volume. And even if I look at rush attempts in those games, like in the in the games that they've lost, where he had under four yards per carry, it wasn't that we were necessarily scripted out of the run, necessarily. In those losses where he averaged less than four yards per carry, he had 20 carries, 10 carries, 18 carries, 19 carries, 14 carries. So what, three of those five games, he had 18 or more carries. So it's not just... We get the lead, and if we're able to run it a lot with Joe Mixon, we're going to win the game. It's if we're able to run the ball well, because if you look at the games we've won where he's averaged more than four yards a carry, um, well, he had 16 carries for 67 yards, which is a good stat line. I wouldn't say that he was – it was not a, along the Pittsburgh 165 game, right? Uh, other games against Baltimore when we won 41-17, to 17, he had 12 carries for 59 yards. Again, nothing earth-shattering. He's at 18 for 90, 18 for 94. That's what we need is him to be able to be efficient with 15, 17, 20 carries, whatever it may be. Takes the pressure off of the pass rush and Joe Burrow and opens things up for us. It seems pretty um, basic, seems pretty simple, maybe overly simple. And uh, Mike Santagata, who we've had as a guest before, does great work for um, Sports Illustrated as well. He said he writes that in every takeaway article after the games. The takeaway from the games, it's run game efficiency, it's limiting turnovers and sack numbers, the keys to whether the Bengals win or loss. Because I think it was last episode or the episode before I mentioned how the Bengals have a poor record when Burrow gets sacked three or more times. Very simple. Protect your quarterback, 
run the ball efficiently, not even a ton, just run it efficiently, keep the defense honest, and limit your turnovers, and the Bengals are going to win the game. Will they be able to do that against Denver remains to be seen. We'll talk about which of those three things maybe is most likely to happen, least likely to happen, etc., with our guest, Joe. Before I click play on that, we were having some, uh, I won't call them necessarily mic issues, but his mic was a little bit lower than mine. So I cranked the volume up on his um, uh, wave file there, lowered it on mine. That way I'm not blasting your ears if you have it turned up to hear him. So my volume has been lowered in this next segment. So this would be the time where you turn that dial a little bit. If you're in your car, hit the side button on your phone there to raise the volume a little bit um, for this duration for the interview with Joe. Here it is. And today's guest is Joe Rouse. He's the host of the Cover 2 Broncos podcast. Also does a little writing on the side. Senior writer for SB Nation's Mile High Report. So this guy has got the insight on the Denver Broncos, which is what we're looking for this week. Joe, how are you doing? We're recording this in the morning, especially for you. It's kind of early there. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah. It's funny. The the Denver Broncos and Cincinnati Bengals are different teams as far as how they're made up, but they're kind of similar. They have some common opponents. Both suffered some tough losses. Both had a couple nice wins. I mean, Denver's beaten Dallas and the Chargers, which are two pretty premier wins. How, like, Overall, how would you say the Broncos are playing these days? Do they look like a playoff team to you? Yes, uh, I think so. Um, I would say that the Broncos are playing pretty close to expectations for me before the season. Uh, the one key difference, I think, is that their run defense is a little bit weaker than I expected it to be. But they're down to eight, their eighth starting linebacker, so it's probably to be expected at this point. Uh, but the pass defense, the, the offense is basically right around where I thought it would be when Aaron Rodgers decided to stay in Green Bay. So, um, but yeah, it, they're going to need some kind of bounces their way just because with the way the AFC field is crowded and they did drop a couple games early in the season that they shouldn't have. But I mean, the Bengals can relate. I think that's pretty true around the AFC. Uh, but if they handle this game and win probably two more, they're probably in the dance. Yeah, we can definitely relate to some tough losses. The Broncos, I think, would probably similar to the Bengals have a, a somewhat difficult schedule remaining. Um, both the Bengals and the Broncos still have the chiefs left on their schedule. You guys also have the Raiders and chargers. So was that three straight divisional foes to end the season? Um, you guys probably win a couple of those. Uh, you're setting yourself up pretty nicely. Um, not, not to win the AFC West, but to make the playoffs nonetheless, that's what we're all vying for at this time of year, which is nice that, as we are entering December, we're not looking at draft position. We're not looking at prospects incoming. We're talking about making the playoffs. Coming into this game, the Bengals have their fair share of injuries. Uh, the Wednesday injury report is a little difficult to decipher. That's typically the day we're seeing vets get some rest and things like that. Um, from a Bengals perspective, I don't know what to expect from some of the guys that that didn't practice on Wednesday, like a Wujier. Um, I would expect he's going to play since he just played uh, last week. Burrow will play. Hendrickson's probably our biggest question mark, along with a couple guys along our offensive line. How's Denver looking injury-wise? Are there any major key players that are potentially questionable or might not play this week against Cincinnati? I'd say there's two. There's a few guys who didn't practice uh, on Wednesday, but some of these guys are veteran rest days, just like you mentioned. Bobby Massey, Kareem Jackson, either one of them practiced. Uh, all signs point to them playing on Sunday. 
the big ones that may be key absences is Draymond Jones. Vic Fangio said he is truly 50-50 to play because of a foot injury. Uh, suffered late in the game against Detroit. That would be huge just because he is the Broncos' best pass rusher at this point. Uh, and he matches up. Normally, he would match up against Hakeem Adeniji, which is probably the Bengals' weakest offensive lineman. Yep. So missing him is going to be big if that happens. The other one is Kenny Young. As I alluded to, the Broncos have already played eight starting off-ball linebackers this year. Kenny Young is one of their last, like, quote-unquote good ones. Uh, so if he is out, the Broncos linebacker core will be down to Baron Browning, who is a rookie third round pick playing quite a bit better than I thought he might, uh, before the season, just because he's missed all of OTAs missed almost all of training camp, uh, coming out of the draft. The big question about him was like mental processing and like the, the speed of the game adjustment. Um, that said, he's playing pretty well, but he's also had Kenny Young next to him for all of the games he's played this year. Without him in the lineup, the Broncos would be down to Jonas Griffith. Uh, he is a special teamer, uh, so that would be big. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, you know, we, we've got our own injuries we're dealing with as well, but to kind of catch a break, because I think in general I wasn't really that worried about Denver maybe a few weeks ago. It felt like going to Denver on the road would be a challenge, but we're going to have the better quarterback. We're going to overall have the better team. But now coming off of a couple of tough losses and this one becoming pretty much a must win for the Bengals, it has me a little bit more worried. So any breaks we can catch there on the injury front would be much appreciated. I want to talk about the the Broncos defense. And um, you mentioned the run defense looking a little bit weaker of late. Just the, the raw stats wise, they're top 10 and fewest rushing yards allowed. Yep. Um, they've only given up four yards per carry to lead back six times. And the reason I looked into that is because the Bengals have much more success when Mixon is running efficiently. Um, and really, they've they've done a good job of battling, bot, bottling up the lead back. So um, Najee Harris kind of had a good game against them. They lost that one. We mentioned before we recorded Dearness Johnson on that one Thursday night game against Cleveland. Had a good game, and the Broncos lost that. Uh, Philadelphia kind of shredded them with a couple running backs and Jalen Hurst, uh, Hurts. But other than that, the team's done a good job. Uh, where would you rate this run defense? Because you mentioned it's kind of a, turning into a weakness maybe a little bit with the linebacker depth. It, are they relying on their front four to be the guys that are, are able to slow down the run game of the opponent? So the numbers I look at tend to be the efficiency numbers just because mm -hmm. the Broncos play a lot of ball control on offense. So they'll win the game uh, time possession most games, uh, which ends up leading to suppress like counting numbers. But in terms of efficiency, the Broncos, uh, by DVOA, which adjusts for, you know, opponents, uh, have one of the 10 worst run defenses in the league right now, and they're especially bad in the red zone. And that is an area where the Bengals are especially strong. Uh, Joe Mixon, I want to say, has 10 or 12 touchdowns. I can't remember. I'm, looking, I'm not looking at it. So that is definitely a big concern. One of the big reasons that the Broncos' run defense is normally kind of shaky is just that, by design, they'll play out of a too-high shell. And as part of that, they'll play with a light box. So usually six, maybe seven players in the box. And they'll kind of try and bait teams into running against them. When Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell were healthy, that was a great strategy because those two were both so good at cleaning up runs before they got anywhere in the second level. But now that the Broncos are down to Baron Browning and maybe Jonas Griffith, they're, they're going to have some issues stopping runs. Uh, and if Draymond Jones isn't healthy, they're down their best defensive tackle as well. So that would definitely be a concern at that point. 
the the Philly game is a little bit of an outlier just because Philly's rushing offense is most similar, I think, to Baltimore's and just that they, they yep. rely on their QB yep. runs so much. But that said, like the Dearness Johnson game, that was a game where Baron Browning didn't play. So it was basically Kenny Young and or not Kenny Young. It was uh, Micah Kaiser, who is a backup now. He just came back off injury. And Justin Sternod. Justin Sternod looks so bad in that game. They haven't played him on defense basically since. Uh, that's why Jonas Griffith is actually the next guy up because they Justin Sternod probably ended his chances at playing on defense in that game. Uh, so yeah, that's definitely a huge concern. But that's kind of the price the Broncos pay to have a really good pass defense, and it's wor- like it's been working. So we'll see. That's interesting, the cover two that you mentioned, um, because I think the Bengals saw that last week where uh, the Niners were trying to hide some of their uh, cornerback issues. So they were doing a lot of cover two and kind of, again, baiting us into the run, which we kept doing um, over again and just wasn't very efficient with it. And that's kind of why our offense was struggling a little bit until later in the game where they opened things up with Joe Burrow. So it'll be interesting if, uh, you know, coming off of a game where, Maybe they had a similar approach to try to run the ball. Um, whether if they are inefficient with that, whether they'll be a little bit quicker to get to Joe Burrow. And as we talk about that pass defense, um, there was a tweet that went out uh, earlier this week. I'm not, I think you saw it because I think uh, you might have retweeted it or something. But there was a tweet that went out talking about uh, from Ben Fennell, the Broncos pass defense and some areas where they have been um especially solid is in their completion percentage allowed red zone completion percentage third down sacks fourth quarter interceptions some of these feel a little cherry picked as far as the you know where you're getting them from but overall those are all good uh ranking first or second in each of those areas in the nfl and then i put a tweet out um after seeing that one that some of those are areas where burrow has struggled third down sacks um i think he leads the league in their fourth quarter interceptions so Another one of those matchups where maybe the strength of the Broncos is playing into some areas of weakness for the Bengals. When you think about the the past defense that's been so solid, has it been, um, and you might have mentioned it a little bit, but if you can expand a little bit on has it been more like lockdown man coverage? Is it, do they primarily run zone and they're just good at covering their zones um, together? How are they slowing down these passing attacks so well? So it starts just with the personnel. Uh, the Broncos have one of the best safeties in football in Justin Simmons. And mm-hmm. then they spent the ninth overall pick in the draft on Patrick Sertan. Sertan has emerged really quietly, I guess, just because the Broncos aren't really a national team right now. Uh, but Patrick Sertan is quietly emerging as like a pro bowl caliber corner as a rookie. Uh, I would guess by year three, you know, barring injury, all that, he will probably be in the all pro conversation most years. Uh, has the length, has the mobility, has the ball skills to kind of lock down number one receivers. It's going to be a, a really good matchup this week with Jamar Chase just because they have played each other before and they're both really good. Uh, I'm really excited for that. But the Broncos, they've invested a lot of money into their personnel in the back end, uh, and it's kind of showing right now. Uh, even though they lost Bryce Callahan to injury for a while, they just slid Kyle Fuller into the nickel basically saved Kyle Fuller's second half of his career. He's going to probably be able to play nickel for a couple of years. He's savvy, physical, able to keep up with most guys in short areas. And then Ronald Darby is a $9 million corner and he's their, you know, kind of forgotten corner. Uh, and then Kareem Jackson, Kareem Jackson is pretty savvy. Uh, I would say he's probably showing a little bit of signs of age. He's 33 years old, but he's extremely physical. He can mirror and match with most tight ends, most running backs. And despite the fact that he's only 5'9 on a good, like 5'9, 5'10, 
he can get up and contest the catch point. So the Broncos, they'll mix a lot of man match coverage uh, where it'll look like man and then they'll actually like they'll hand off guys or they'll play zone match where it'll look like zone. They'll hand off and they'll depending on what happens in their areas, they'll pick guys up Um, in terms of coverage shells. You're going to end up seeing a little bit of cover more cover zero than most teams run more cover one. They'll actually run less cover three. Um, That is one of those areas where I'm, I'm kind of looking to see what happens with the Bengals on the ground just because they'll go to cover three a lot of times out of their base personnel. Uh, but because the Bengals run out of uh, 11 personnel so often, the Broncos will probably be a nickel with three corners on the field. And when they're doing that, they're going to run cover six more than they're going to run cover three. Uh, so in terms of coverages, they'll run a lot of cover six, which is uh, quarters on one side, cover three on the other. And then they'll run a lot of man. They'll do a lot of this out of two high shells. So both safeties will be up. And then pre-snap, it's hard to say what they're going to do. And then they'll rotate one of the safeties down or they'll keep them back. So what that is, the, the idea behind that is to try and make Joe Burrow have to think after the snap. And that's especially good against play action just because your back is turned. And all of a sudden you turn mm-hmm. around, the defense looks different once you're kind of back looking to throw the ball. And Fangio's really good at trapping. Um, he'll, he'll And Justin Simmons capitalizes on this where – a guy will look open, but he's not actually open because Justin's, Justin Simmons will roam over and get in the way of it. So that is kind of part of it. Um, and then, honestly, and this is the big concern that kind of favors the Bengals, the Broncos don't have an edge rush this year. This is the biggest concern I have going into this matchup in terms of defense versus offense. Uh, Bradley Chubb got hurt early in the season. The Broncos traded Von Miller. Uh, and then since... Since Bradley Chubb's been back, he has not looked like himself. He's playing through an injury. Uh, Shelby Harris has an ankle and a knee injury. He's the Broncos' other best defensive lineman. And then Draymond Jones is hurt. So right now, the Broncos' pass rush in this game is going to rely very, very heavily on the blitz. Which is uh, an area where Burrow has been pretty good this year is against the blitz. And I was going to ask you about that pass rush because – in years past, you you might look at the Broncos' pass rush, and especially led by Von Miller in his prime there, um, it was elite. This year, I wouldn't say it's anything that, that you look at the Broncos. They've got 30 sacks on the season, which is, is fine, led by Malik Reed and Draymond Jones. Um, is, if Malik Reed is out there, where is he predominantly lining up? And I'm just curious because we've got some question marks more around, along the right side of the line than we do at left tackle. Where will we typically see Reed lining up to, to rush the passer? So the Broncos will play Reed mostly. Now that Chubb's back, Reed will probably play more against the right tackle than he will against the left tackle. Chubb usually lines up over the left tackle. Uh, Reed has probably been the Broncos' second best pass rusher for the season as a whole um, in terms of edge rushers. Jonathan Cooper doesn't have the sack numbers as of now, but he is probably the Broncos' most consistent pass rusher at the edge. He does a good job getting pressures, but he has short arms, so he's not going to win in this way where he's bringing guys down a lot. Uh, I would say Isaiah Prince matches up against him pretty well, just because he does have, I think he has 32 inch arms. Uh, Malik Reed's in a similar boat, but Malik Reed's also small. He's 230 pounds. So mm. the big issue with him when he's on the field is when teams run power running game at him. Uh, he struggles against down blocks. Uh, he does an okay job meeting pullers, but he can be kind of like knocked out of the point of attack by guards. So that that's kind of like the big issues with him. But, but yeah, I would say the Broncos will probably focus their pass rush games at that right side, especially because you have a Denergy next to Prince. Um, yep. And that's kind of like the key, the key matchup that Denver could possibly win. 
Yeah. Uh, well, it. I will say, as Bengals fans, we're looking forward to maybe a game where uh, Burrow isn't running for his life. We saw it last week against Bosa, and then when he does have time, he picks apart a defense more often than not. It's just a matter of consistently giving him time. And I think an important thing for Joe Burrow also and this Bengals team is going to be able to um, give him a clean pocket from the start. I think sometimes when he's feeling that pressure early on, it impacts him uh, for the rest of the game where he's a little more antsy. He escapes the pocket a little earlier than he needs to then. Um, some of those things that you can be expected when you're facing the pressure. So it'll be an interesting matchup of this Broncos pass rush that is less dominant than maybe has been in previous years versus a an offensive line that's a little bit uh, regressing as of late. So could could spell uh, big things for Burrow if they give him some time. I want to talk about the Denver offense as well. Denver overall does a pretty good job protecting the ball, 23rd um, in the NFL in giveaways with 15. Um, they have the most games in the NFL of one or fewer turnovers in a game. They've done that 11 times. They're 7-4 and four in those games. When has Teddy Bridgewater, who historically has kind of gotten the um, – conservative, uh, low average depth of target, very safe quarterback. He's kind of gotten that label. Where have they been able to fluster him a little bit and get him out of sync to force turnovers? Because when you have a quarterback that seems to be less of a risk taker, um, you're going to be relying on fumbles, which are a little bit harder to come by than interceptions. Where have teams been able to, to get Bridgewater out of his sync a little bit? Third downs is going to be a big part. And that's actually another one of those matchups where I'm, I'm really kind of anxious to see how that goes. Just because the Bengals, a lot of times what they do on third and six or more, like probably between third and six and third and ten, they'll, they'll bring six to the line of scrimmage, usually Von Bell and then somebody else. And then they might blitz, they might not, but they'll usually send five and they'll play zone behind it. So Teddy Bridgewater in those situations over the course of the season will typically kind of dump it down. Mm -hmm. But then the Bengals have the personnel on the back end to rally up and stop guys from making it to the sticks. So it's going to kind of bait Bridgewater into trying to take some of those chances. And that's, what's gotten him into trouble in the past is he'll get under pressure and he'll, he'll rush a throw. And all of a sudden Jesse Bates is coming down with an interception. Mm -hmm. uh, the Bengals game or not the Bengals, the chiefs game is a really good example. Of that. I was just getting ready to reference that. Cause I think that's the only real Broncos action I've watched this year was that chiefs game. And we saw yeah. that play out the, the chiefs game. And then, Bridgewater got knocked out of the game, but the Baltimore game is a similar story where both teams were just hyper aggressive on passing downs. And that pressure kind of just built up. As, as you mentioned with Burrow, the, the pressure kind of gets to this point where all of a sudden his clock is, is rushing mm -hmm. and then he's, he's hurrying decisions, which leads to mistakes. So if the Bengals can get hits on Bridgewater early, I think it could kind of accumulate over time and really lead to a bad day. How has, uh, how has Denver's offensive line been this year? I didn't necessarily get into any, uh, um, statistics or pff grades on them but just from from the eye test how have they been at protecting and keeping him upright this year they're better run blocking than they are pass protecting uh garrett bowles is kind of sliding down a little bit after the all pro season last year um broncos fans are disappointed but realistically it's not a huge surprise he not great with his hands i would say he's about solid um so a guy like uh, hendrickson is going to probably give him some issues uh, Dalton Reisner has had issues in the past with quick guys, uh, quickness, and then also stunts. So if a looper is coming in late and he is not ready for it, he's not so quick footed that you're not going to get wins here and there. Blake Cushenberry will have issues against power. So DJ reader is actually going to be a big test for him. Hmm. Uh, he'll get pushed back in the backfield on run plays. He'll get pushed back in the backfield in pass pro. His anchor is below average. 
Um, and then next to him is Quinn Miners, who rookie from Wisconsin Whitewater, who did not play football last year because of COVID. He's very, very good in the run game. Uh, he's like a snowplow. He just knocks everyone down because he has all this play strength. Um, but in pass pro, pretty okay against stunts, but he has had a few losses against guys with quick hands. And uh, next to him on the at right tackle is Bobby Massey. Bobby Massey is probably the Broncos' best right tackle since 2018. Uh, six foot eight, doesn't quite play as long as he looks on you know getting off the bus. Uh, and his his height will work against him a little bit in terms of pass pro, just because if he doesn't get his hands on an edge rusher and gives up his frame, he loses the leverage battle. So that'll be something to watch with Sam Hubbard. Uh, and then in the run game, he's kind of a position blocker. He's not going to overpower guys, but he's pretty good on zone concepts and just kind of walling off. Uh, but I would say, again, those third down situations where I was just alluding to at the Bengals, that is a big concern for me just because the Broncos have had issues picking up stunts all season. And that's going to be something that they're going to see. Well, it sounds like uh, at least your right tackle Bobby is better than the Bengals Bobby right tackle we had for a few years and Bobby Hart. Um, which still can give me nightmares to this day. Um, when it comes to the run game, I'm going to take off my fantasy football hat because everybody in fantasy football is begging for the Broncos to just hand the reins over to Javante Williams. He's the next great thing. However, when Melvin Gordon is healthy and playing, he's also producing. So just from the, the football perspective, have there, been any, have there been any usage trends you've noticed as far as Javante being more of the pass catcher, one of them getting more of the in-between tackles or red zone, or are they pretty much just doing a 50-50 split and sharing drives? It's pretty close to a 50-50 split because Javante Williams, from the jump, they were really excited about his ability to play in pass protection. So they've kind of trusted him to do everything that Melvin Gordon does. Most games, it's kind of a just a one drive Melvin Gordon plays, next drive Javante Williams plays. Uh, on longer drives, they will start to alternate a little bit, you know, once you know fatigue starts to factor in. But there's not really any keys to pick up on who's doing what based on who's in the backfield. And from a stylistic standpoint, how do you? What's the biggest difference you think between a defense preparing for Javante and there versus Melvin Gordon? Melvin Gordon has better vision at this point, uh, and. I think it's probably the most underrated aspect of his game. Uh, he'll run a lot of inside zone, split zone, stuff like that, because he can capitalize on what the defense is doing and really take advantage of it. Does a really good job manipulating defenders to create openings. Uh, doesn't have the same contact balance or explosiveness that Javante Williams has at this point. And granted, I don't think many people do. Uh, but Javante Williams, basically a bowling ball. Just incredible at the point of it. Like, basically... First guy is not going to bring him down more often than not. And he he's explosive enough that if you don't rally to the ball, he's going to get into the second, third level. Uh, the big questions about him, kind of the, one of the reasons why the Broncos ha have been kind of wise to not play him too much is that he is still making decision, pro like having issues with decision making here and there, where especially shows up on outside zone. Uh, he'll He'll be too quick to bounce out wide to space. And what he'll do is he'll end up messing up his blocking angles. That said, inside zone, he's been much better over the course of the season as it's gone. Gap concepts, he's awesome. I'm actually, I really wish the Broncos had used more gap, especially after the 49ers actually scored a touchdown against you guys with it last week. The Broncos have a really, have the personnel to run pin and pull, run, you know, lead pull, run power. This is the week to do it. So we'll see. And the, the passing game is interesting again. 
from a fantasy perspective, I'm familiar with some of these weapons, but Cortland Sutton has really disappeared since Jerry Judy came back in week 10, averaging three targets a game, doesn't have more than two catches in that time frame. For preparation purposes, is Jerry Judy and Tim Patrick the bigger concerns for defense when it comes to the wide receiver position? Because Sutton seems like he's just vanished. Broncos country is still trying to kind of figure out what's happening with that. Just because <laughs> uh, Bridgewater over the last month has really struggled a little bit too. Uh, he's had two bad games. He had a game where he suffered a, sh a shin injury in the Chargers game, got knocked out of it, came back late, played okay. And then obviously the Lions, but the Lions have one NFL caliber corner. So it's not really a good indication of where Bridgewater's at. Uh, I suspect he's playing through injury a little bit and he, he's hesitant to drive the ball just because he doesn't trust his base. And because of it, he's not going wide to Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick as often because Tim Patrick's numbers are also down, um, just not quite as dramatically as Cortland Sutton's. But I would say also Jerry Judy was the Broncos wide receiver one from camp. So it's not completely surprising that he's kind of taken over that role since he's come back and his game fits perfectly with what Tay Bridgewater wants to do. He Bridgewater in the, at the end of the day, what he wants to do is he wants to play the short and intermediate game as much as possible. High completion percentage get the ball to somebody who can make him look good in space after the catch. Is he, does he typically prefer middle of the field? Like we saw with Jimmy G last week, or does he? Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's, that's where you're going to see most of it. Uh, and that's, what's made his, his marriage kind of with Pat Shermer kind of interesting just because Shermer Broncos offensive coordinator gets to about the 30 yard line. He is going to dial up a two route concept shot play down the field, which does not necessarily play into what Bridgewater normally wants to do, but Bridgewater has done more to kind of meet him this year. Uh, he's actually having a career year in terms of you know, yards per completion, stuff like that, and that's why. Uh, but yeah, in recent weeks, I just think he's struggling to get the ball downfield into tight coverage. And so because of it, and you know, kudos to Bridgewater for recognizing this, because he doesn't trust that he can do it, he just doesn't attempt it as often. And because of it, it's, it's hurting the numbers for Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton. And Bengals fans are familiar with um, tight end weapons after we saw George Kittle hurt us uh, quite a bit last week. Where does Noah Fant fit into the offensive game plan these days for Denver? Is it somebody that, um, granted, I'm not saying Fant is necessarily on Kittle's level yet. Is it something, though, where Fant is one that can kind of become the primary guy in the offense for a game if the defense you know, allows it? It hasn't really happened yet. Usually Noah Fant's role in the offense has kind of been the, the tertiary dump off guy or the chip and release. And then if you can't find a receiver downfield, you end up giving him the ball. Uh, it's led to a lot of kind of frustration from fans just because they keep waiting for Noah Fant to break out, you know, turn into this. Because again, he was a first round pick, super, super athletic, improving since his rookie season, but his numbers are kind of hovering right around where they've been last year too. Um, that said, this is kind of one of those weeks where you would expect Shermer to try and dial him up a little bit more. He had a really nice catch against Derek Barnes last week. Uh, Bridgewater took a shot downfield, got him for 32 yards. Could see something similar against Jobaki, or Bashi, uh, just because Fant is going to have the athleticism advantage in that matchup. Get him isolated on Bashi, and he should be able to run away from him. Man, I don't like after this conversation, I'm not exactly sure if it's changed my direction on where the Bengals are coming into this game win or loss. Um, I, I like I said, if we were playing this game a few weeks ago, I'd have felt a lot better coming off a couple of tough losses where we've seen a lot of the same mistakes over and over. 
I'm worried about going to Denver and playing on the road. If this was a home game, I would feel much better about it. Do you have a score prediction? Or, or if you don't have the score, do you have a, a an inkling of who you think is going to come out on top in this pretty much must-win game for both teams? So I'm going to hedge a little bit in just that. I can see this game going either way just because mm-hmm. both the Broncos and the Bengals have been playing up and down quite a bit in recent weeks. Uh, one thing that should help the Bengals is the Broncos don't have the special teams to really capitalize on the mistakes that the Bengals have made the last couple weeks. The the muff punts cost you 10 points against the yeah. 49ers. Denver's coverage unit is so bad that you guys might muff a point, a punt, <laughs> still get it back. Uh, unless Mike Ford is like really feeling himself. Like that's kind of <laughs> like the big difference. Uh, but in terms of uh, Bridgewater, the way Bridgewater won't kind of test outside really in terms of a game plan that should make it easier to pack the run and then, you know, pressure him. So that makes me pretty nervous. Uh, at the same time, the way the Broncos will mix things up pre-snap, post-snap could lead to some big, big mistakes from Joe Burrow or Joe Marchese. Um, I would say right now, because the game's at home, Broncos are relatively healthy outside of Draymond Jones. I feel pretty good about them to come ahead by in like a three or seven point win. But I, I think it's going to be close unless, you know, just complete meltdown on one side or the other. Yeah, I think it's going to be close as well. I believe right now the Broncos are favored by two and a half from what I'm seeing on ESPN. Um, so they're predicting, predicting a close game as well. And it was funny because I had a conversation this morning um, with someone on Twitter and we were talking about the keys to the Bengals winning pretty much any game is Mixon has to be efficient. Four yards to carry is kind of where if he's even where he's only getting 13 carries for what 52 yards or whatever, his efficiency is important um, to keep the offense moving, limiting turnovers and then uh, limiting sacks. And as I look through those three keys, it feels like sacks might be less of an issue this week than um, maybe against other teams or where we've really gone up against premier pass rushers like a, a Nick Bosa. Um, that that's one thing I, I'm not sure. Do you think the, the, Denver defense is ball hawking enough to be one that's going to be able to force multiple turnovers when it comes to Joe Burrow. You mentioned the can, kind of confusing looks they'll give him. Do you think that segues pretty nicely into a potentially mistake-filled game for him? I think one of the big X factors in this game is going to be T. Higgins against whoever isn't Patrick Sertan. Mm-hmm. If the Broncos can kind of smother both Higgins and Jamar Chase off the line, it's going to lead to a lot of pressure on Burrow just because the way the Broncos generate pressure is with sending extra people or with games. Um, but by doing so, they're, they're really relying on their secondary to stay on top of the receivers and man and to buy the rush enough time to get there. If they don't, I think Burrow's going to slice them up just because if the Broncos play soft zone, uh, Darby has been susceptible to guys kind of just like going after him this year. And T. Higgins is the kind of player who could do that because he has the size to just play bully ball. Yeah. Um. So I do think that if the Broncos secondary plays as it could, because um, we've seen that in the Dallas game, I do think pressure and turnovers could be a factor because as the pressure kind of, as the secondary kind of clamps down, it'll lead to more rushes. And then that'll probably lead to Burrow pressing a little bit more, which could lead to, it kind of all plays into itself. Right, exactly. But if they if they come into this game where Darby's having trouble with Higgins or Jamar Chase is having uh, his way with Patrick Sertan, I think the offense is going to be explosive at that point. And, and that's, it's hard to say at this side of it because you kind of have to see how the guys show up, but that I think is the biggest matchup in this game. Yeah. We say every week that this uh, offense is going to explode and it usually does for some duration of the game. Um, unfortunately last week it took 
three and a half quarters before it started to blow up. So it happens at some point. We just can't quite string together uh, other than that Baltimore game where we had 500 yards of offense. We can't string together four quarters of the offense playing well. Uh, Joe, I appreciate you coming on. Again, you can find uh, Joe's work out at milehighreport.com. Also, his um, podcast, Cover 2 Broncos. And Joe, can you let everyone know where they can find you out on Twitter as well? I am at Joro underscore NFL. I usually am talking about the Broncos, but every once in a while, I like to talk about the teams that might win the Super Bowl this year. So if you want to want to keep up with that, I'm over there. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. So I have to give a score prediction as well. I can't cop out and just say it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a good game. I think the Bengals will win this game. If they don't, they're not going to the playoffs. I think they will win this game that they should win. I've been predicting... 27 to 30 points it seems like the last few weeks for us and it's been a struggle I think this will be a little bit more low scoring on the road against a a defense that has some playmakers in Simmons in Sertan whether Bradley Chubb is his old self or not he's still a good player out there I think it's going to be a little bit more low scoring I do think the Bengals will win I I'm gonna go with like a 23 to 20 score maybe like a 20 to 17 somewhat lower scoring Uh, But I think the Bengals will be able to do enough on offense and limit the Broncos, who aren't by any means an overpowering offense themselves. It's going to be not beating ourselves because I don't think that the Denver Broncos in their current state are good enough to beat us straight up. They're going to need some help. So Bengals, take care of the ball, protect Joe Burrow, open some running lanes for Joe Mixon, and this should be an easy win. Bengals 23-20. Move to eight and six, and we'll talk about after Sunday's games what the rest of the AFC North looks like. Things could look very different just a few days from now, moving from potentially the three seed in the AFC North up to the the number one spot. I don't know. We'll see where we end up on Sunday night. We'll be back to recap the Broncos game. Until next time, as always, Bengals fans, hootay. <laughs>